Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. transgress the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord verse number 26 but Samuel said to Saul I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel And Samuel turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people. And before Israel, and return with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. Verse 31. So Samuel turned back after, uh, after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. This is part two of the series that we started last Wednesday, simply entitled King Saul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. And we do worship you, God. We give you all the glory and all the honor. I pray, open up our hearts, God. May we receive this word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, we're going to pick up from where we did last week. Uh, if you want to uh, go back and listen to last week's message, then you're going to get the first part of this. This was really one long message. I don't think I could have preached it all in one night. It would have taken two hours. So I thought I would break it up and, and do it on two Wednesday nights. But we must never forget, as we move into this message, we must never forget that we will never arrive to the point of perfection on this side of glory. I just want to, I want to ease into this. Uh, you will have tests and you will have battles. Ever since the book of Genesis all the way through, uh, the battle in the Garden of Eden, uh, the devil actively seeks out our downfall. He actively seeks out to destroy the ministry and the work of Jesus. The same devil that wanted to destroy Jesus in the gospel still wants to destroy Jesus in his ministry today. And we are the reflection of that ministry. So he wants to destroy the Christ. That is found in you He doesn't fight fair How many of you know that's true He doesn't care how he fights he does, He's not concerned with your feelings He doesn't say Wow you've had a hard day uh, already this week Today's only Wednesday And you've had a hard week I think I'm going to let off of you next, uh, tomorrow Come on The devil don't care Are you hearing what I'm saying He doesn't fight fair Hell uses any and all weapons Weapons of gossip Weapons of depression Weapons of oppression Weapons of manipulation He'll try and use your children Come on somebody He'll try to use your co-workers He'll try to use your husband Your wife A teacher He'll even try to use preachers Come on Talk to me in here He'll do anything he can To try to pull you down And if you have not figured this out yet We are in a spiritual fight War is being raised in the heavenlies Even right now And we cannot The reason I say all that Is that we cannot help the devil as the devil fights against me by heaping onto our own selves destruction and having self-inflicted wounds. Am I making sense tonight? 
You see, I go through that to say that you're going to have enough scars and enough battles just simply trying to live for God every single day. So let us learn some lessons from King Saul because the majority of this man's issue was self-inflicted upon his own self. That's the big picture to take from this teaching that we're doing right now. So last week we started this two-part message We talked about Saul as the first king of Israel, great leader. He was anointed to be king. And we talked about how it was so shocking that this very gifted, um, this very anointed leader could find himself ever defeated. Because the fact is, Saul was never supposed to lose. Think about that. He was never supposed to lose, but yet this man lost everything. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel to win battles, not lose battles. We talked about anyone who is anointed to do anything should tremble when we read this text. That you should not be careless and to take the anointing for granted. I'm just giving a little, a, a, a little in, a introduction from last week. And we talked about his death. It wasn't because of the archers. It was his own sword that he fell upon. So we talked about as believers, oftentimes times we spend way too much time worried about what other people think about us what other people can do to us that the real enemy that we really have to deal with is the one we see in the mirror every single day yes sir we the first point of this message was disobedience that you can't do wrong to make things turn out right the second point was arrogance uh, that you must stay humble in the face of the success or in the face of trouble We talked about number three, rebellion, that the Bible compares rebellion to that of witchcraft. And um, we even talked about how that spirit is familiar. And later on in Saul's life, he actually went and consulted a witch to try to bring Samuel's uh, body back up. So this man was all in that. And then we we ended by talking about denial. And this was the, uh, the most amazing thing about Saul because whenever he's confronted, he initially denies everything that he's being confronted. And the big takeaway from that point was you never change anything that you don't take responsibility for. We talked about that your gift can take you places that your character cannot keep you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Denial is why church doesn't work for a lot of people. Because we walk into the church in denial and we'll hear a message that God has fine-tuned just for us and we'll dismiss it as if it has nothing to do do with us because our heart has become hard. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So here we go. We pick up here with point number five, repentance. 1 Samuel 15, 24. Now, I got into this point a little bit last Wednesday. Um, because it was so much in me that I I just wanted to jump out there and I asked y'all, are you going to come back if I give you this point? And y'all all all said yes and you didn't lie. You came back this Wednesday night. Praise the Lord for that. All right, so here we go. Point number five is repentance. Then uh, Saul said, said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord. Here's the difference. The way Saul tries to repent versus the way David repented is two completely different things. This is what separated Saul from David. Saul did not offer up, and I'm sorry, watch now, until he realized that the kingdom was being taken away from him. All right? Are you tracking with me right here? He never offered it up. He thought he got away with it. Even after he was confronted, he didn't think nothing about it. But once he realized, "Uh uh-oh, I have made a boo-boo, and this is over with. Uh-huh. He, he then started to say, oh, I'm, I'm, you know what? 
I am really sorry, you know, about this, what I just did right here. Can we work something out right here? No. Listen, he would not repent in a sincere way. And the reason he couldn't was because he was in denial about being wrong. What was he going to repent from? What was he going to repent from because he had not done anything wrong? People don't repent who are in denial because they will never assume the responsibility for being wrong. Are you listening? The one thing that made David better than Saul is that you could not you could not outdo David in the way he would repent. Come on. Have you read the Psalms? Have you read Psalms 51? Psalms 51 is his repentance prayer after he was confronted with um, the whatchamacallit with Bathsheba. Come on, talk to me here, all right? He would repent. He would say, oh God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He would let it fly. He would let it rip right from the emotions of his heart. He would say, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. I hide my face from thee, O God. I look to you for mercy. Have mercy upon me, God, is how he would repent. Hear my cry, O God. If, if David couldn't do nothing else, he knew how to repent. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He would throw himself on the mercy seat of God and one one minute and God said I will use David and I will replace Saul because David will repent you hear me in the name of the Lord tonight whether you believe this or not repentance is a gift from God we may not think that it is we may think that the repentance is some elementary thing that's so simple and easy and it is I mean anybody can repent but but the fact that you are repenting is a gift from God oh, why didn't Saul just say I'm sorry the first time why didn't he just say you know what I'm wrong forgive me fall down and, 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 and tear his clothes and say cleanse me I have made a mistake why didn't he do that because he did not think anything was wrong are you hearing me he didn't think that jet that that God had told him exactly what to do. And he didn't think it was a big deal not to do it exactly the way God said do it. That was his issue. So whenever somebody got mad at him for not doing it the way God said, he was thinking to himself, why are you tripping about this? It's not that big of a deal was his thing. So repentance is a gift from God. Let me show you. Romans chapter 1 verse 24. This is a powerful scripture. Therefore God also gave them up. Do you see that? If you don't mind underlining in your Bible, you may want to underline that. For God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. God gave them up. Whenever it says God gave them up, that means he withdrew his spirit and said, you want to live that way? Then go ahead. And once you are given up to your lust, given up to your flesh, don't think that you're going to wake up in the morning all of a sudden feeling bad about your sin. You better hear me now. This is, this is for real preaching right here, okay? I'm trying to help somebody. The, the fact that you wake up on, on, on Sunday morning feeling guilty, feeling condemned, feeling, feeling convicted is the better word. Convicted about what just happened during the weekend is a guilt from God. Because the moment that you wake up and you feel nothing, or you feel nothing, you're over here in Romans 1.24, my friend. So repentance is a gift from God. You can't do it any time that you want to. God gives you the grace 
of repentance. There is a grace that comes into your life. And when you feel that conviction... Listen, that is an opportunity to change your life. When God starts convicting you of something, it means that he has now opened the door of grace for you to walk through it. That's what it feels like. Because if you get beyond conviction, it will get to where it doesn't even bother you anymore. People will become the church living in sin. Amen in the preacher, doing the worship songs, living in Literally living in sin, but yet they're going through the motions. They're going through the routine, not feeling the conviction in their heart at all. Give an altar call about the exact thing that the individual is going through. And we sit there and be like, this altar call ain't for me. It's for somebody feeling nothing. Are you hearing? That's a dangerous place, y'all. I I pray to God, I, we, us, never get to that place. Where we can live our life any way that we want to live it and then feel no conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let me, the best thing you can do is if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you need to run. Don't walk. Run to this altar because that, my friend, is a, a, a lifeline for you from God. You know, you think about it like this right here. Some, the, the, the people that, um, that you sometimes see maybe during worship or uh, during a service or at the altar, and they have their head bowed down before God and a little tear coming from the, their cheek, man, they're, you know, and they're solemn. And they may not have the exuberant praise, maybe that somebody else, they're in a different part of their, their life right now. But listen to me, that bowed down head is a gift from God. The tear in the corner of their eye is a gift gift from God that's the reason every time that I see somebody come to this altar and they give their heart to God and I see tears coming down their face I always rejoice because what I'm witnessing is a gift from God and they have walked through that door never let it get old to you come on somebody Never let it get old to you. Run into his presence. Run into his grace. The problem Saul had is that he wouldn't truly repent. David was actually morally worse than Saul. I hit that last week a little bit. But God, but, but the thing is, is he might have been worse morally, but he would repent. <laughs> he already knows we're going to mess up. Come on, somebody. I'm going to mess up. You're going to mess up. We're all going to mess up. So the key to this thing is, are you willing to repent when you trip up? Saul was unwilling to repent. God said, I can't use you. You need to move over. I'll come over and get David. I know he's already going to do what he's going to do. I'm going to anoint him when he's about 15 years old. I know what's going to happen in his life, but I can trust him to fall down on his knees and ask for some mercy. I can use somebody who's humble. I can use somebody who's willing to say, I'm sorry, and, 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 and ask for forgiveness. Here's the thing. Repent means to change your mind. You're willing to admit that you need to change, to turn. Saul lost the kingdom because he would not repent. He lost something that God had given him because he was too stubborn to make a change. Think about that for a moment. He lost something that God gave him 
because he was so stubborn that he would never make a change. Now, I know this is a message that might not make us shout tonight, but my hope is that it would make you think for a second that something that God reveals to you is, a, is, is precious enough to allow you to make a change in your life. So let me keep going here. Number six, he cannot repent because of his ego. Samuel has told Saul, the kingdom has been taken away from you. Now watch, watch now, talking about ego, watch. 1 Samuel 15, 30. You're losing your job, Saul. You're losing your job. God, you're, you're losing your God-given anointed position is being stripped away from you. Track with me right here. You are losing your status. You have lost it. You're being removed. Saul is losing everything. And he is so, this verse, he is so egotistic, so egotistically driven that he really doesn't care about losing it. He cares about people knowing that he lost it or not. That makes me just fall out. This man is not concerned that he just lost it all. He is more concerned that the people know he just lost it all. Yeah, is anybody in this? Is this microphone on? That blows me away right there, y'all. Saul says, uh, says to Samuel, I know that I've lost my anointing. Okay, okay, fine, fine. And I know that my kingdom is gone. Okay, all right, we got that covered. I know that I've lost my position. Fine, you said that, I understand. And I know that the Lord is no longer with me. Okay, but, but for the benefit of the people, verse 30, just walk out here with me and let's act like that the Lord is still with me. I know that I just lost everything. I don't really care. What I care about is these folks knowing that I've lost it or not. Oh, my goodness. Help me, Holy Spirit. Let's just act like I'm still blessed. Let's just act like you still like me, Samuel. <laughs> just let's pretend right here in front of the people so that I can at least keep my position for a little while longer. Because all I really, I don't really care what God thinks. I don't care. I don't even care what you think, Samuel. All I want you to do is walk out here because I only care what the people think. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because if they see you come into the courts with me, then they will think that I am still favored by God. Help me, Holy Spirit. Here is egotism, that when your image becomes more important to you than the reality. Help me, Holy Spirit. When your image becomes more important to you than the reality. Help me speak this the way it needs to be spoken. When it's all about your image and you'll do anything to make it look good in front of the people, hello, social media. You don't think that King Saul doesn't have a message for 2021? You better think again. As long as it looks good on Instagram, as long as it looks good on Facebook, I don't really care what the reality is. Just as long as I get the likes and the people out there think that I'm still good, that's all that matters to us. Woo, help me, Holy Spirit. I feel this thing, y'all. I'm about to take off running, Miss Gail. You go chase me down? All right. 
I feel this thing, man. I do. I feel it pumping inside of me. You see, this person doesn't want the Holy Spirit. This person doesn't want God's glory and God's anointing to fall upon his life. This person just wants to be able to improvise well enough to make everybody else think that you are anointed. Not really worried about being a great Christian. Just worried about learning the lingo enough to fit in with the cliques. This person is ego-ridden, self-enthroned. Simply coming to church and saying that I'm, I'm not really going to repent. I'm really not going to worship. I'm really not going to read the Bible. I'm just going to act like I do so that the people think that I go to church for the right reasons. And I'm going to be okay with my image but not with the real thing. You see, this person will say I'm technically a Christian but I don't really care if I bless the Lord because I'm just going to go through the motions anyways. It has never hit this person. Listen to me now That they could be missing a real experience with God By simply worried about their image They could actually be missing the real thing Think about that tonight You're here (laughs) You're you're doing the worship You're hearing the message And we're just going to pretend When you could have the real thing No, sir, I want the real thing. Come on, somebody. I don't want to go through the motions. I could be at home right now doing something else. If I'm going to get up, come come to church on a Wednesday night, then I want to come in here and get the real thing, man. Don't go through the motions on me. If you're going to sing, you better feel it. Come on, somebody. If you're going to preach, you better preach it like it's your last sermon because I'm not coming in here acting like nothing. I want God to be in this place. Oh, help me, Holy Spirit. I believe that all over the church in America, we have substituted religion for relationship. It doesn't bother us that we are out of relationship with God as long as we have the perception of being in right relationship. We have put on a front. But the truth of the matter is what the promises of God, he says to us in private, we cancel the promises of God out in our life by the way we live in our life. And rather than to get things right with God and to say, God, I am out of order in this area of my life, we will just walk through and pretend as if the glory is still with us. Pretend that you're pleased with my life. Pretend that I pray. I really haven't prayed since last Wednesday. Come on, somebody. Uh huh. Pretend that I have a worship life. Pretend, no, sir. This is what killed Saul, not the archers of his enemies. What killed Saul is he was playing church. That's what killed the man is he was going through the motions and it meant nothing to him any time that he walked into the presence of God. Every time that he had the, the Passover and he had Pentecost and he had the, the Feast of Tabernacles, it meant nothing to him. He just went through the motions. And because he played church, it cost him his life. Remember, God has given you a shield of faith for the archers of your enemy. Yes, sir. He's given you a helmet of salvation. He's given you a breastplate of righteousness and a feet that's covered with the gospel. And besides, no weapon that is formed against me shall be able to prosper anyways. And every tongue that rises against you, God will condemn it. My point is this right here. That's not what killed Saul. Saul died because Saul started play in church he couldn't kill Agag oh my goodness watch now he ended up killing himself but yet he couldn't kill Agag are you hearing me listen to this point 
What you don't kill spiritually in your life, flesh, will ultimately kill you. Write that down. I should have put that on the screen. I'm just afraid I'm going to misspell everything. Come on, somebody. Get them notes. Amanda has it in the notes somewhere. Amen on that. that What you don't kill flesh-wise, it will kill you. Think about that. He was unwilling to kill Agag, but yet he was willing to fall on a sword and kill his own self. This is a powerful point, y'all. I'm staying right here on purpose. Anything you will not kill that God says get rid of, if you leave it alive in your life, it will come back to destroy you eventually. You might can hide it and put it in a closet for a little while, but that sucker is eventually going to (laughs) grow. Yeah, and it's going to come up, busting up out of that closet one day, and it's going to jerk you down. Listen, here we see Saul stripped of everything. And sometimes those things that we keep in our closet may come out after you die. I'm not fixing to go there, okay, but there's some um, big-time authors. Uh huh. There's some big-time folks out there. If I started dropping names, I have no desire to throw rocks. But if I started not uh, put some names out there, some things has come out about big-time ministers in this country that nobody had any knowledge of, but when they died, it all came out. And this joker had a tiger sitting in his uh, closet. We didn't even know about it. Okay, all right, all right. It will eventually come out. You see here, we see Saul stripped of everything. He's beaten like a child. They found Saul, the anointed king of Israel, laying on top of his own sword, dead. They took his clothes. They took his helmet. They cut his head off. This anointed man of God died and was humiliated because he wouldn't change. All because he wouldn't change. It reminds me a little bit of Cain and Abel. Abel offered up a lamb, a living sacrifice. Cain offered up vegetation from the ground. Cain would not kill an animal, but he was willing to kill his own brother. If you don't kill what God said destroy, you'll end up destroying something much worse. Think for a moment. If I was the enemy, think about this. If I was the enemy, I would stop you from coming to his church. And if I couldn't stop you from coming, I would stop you from listening. Uh huh. And and. I would stop you from thinking, and if I couldn't stop you from thinking, then I would cause you to be overcome with so much ego to the point that you would think that this message was for somebody else. I would allow you to believe that your life couldn't be any better, and that there is something about this faith stuff that really doesn't work no way, and I would leave you going through the motions so that you could soothe your conscience with at least saying, I did attend church on Wednesday night. If I was the enemy, I would leave your agags alive and let you do the work for me. Uh huh. By leaving them suckers alive, you will wind up taking your own life. But if I was the Lord, I would allow this sermon to be preached in your hearing and I would send my spirit to anoint you until I got your attention. I would, I would uh, snap your attention into reality and I would would tap you on your shoulder and I would say this preacher is talking to you tonight and while the preacher was preaching I would nudge you until something began to crack down on the inside of your spirit are you listening until you would fall down before God and say Lord you're talking to me and before you say anything else my soul says yes to the Lord that's what I would do if I was the Lord tonight my soul says yes I'm not blaming anybody 
I'm coming to you with my whole heart. I have come too far at this journey in my life to turn back now. The devil is a liar. Listen, after everything that I've been through is God or nothing. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. All right. Last point, number seven. Very quickly, conception. Death is birth. So now we're in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 35. This is point number 7, and we'll wrap this thing up. Notice right here that Samuel cried as if Saul had died. Let me read it. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Now notice that. Notice that. He hasn't died physically yet, but, but watch. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now watch. He cried... As if Saul had just died. But he physically wasn't dead yet. But he, spiritually he was dead. Are you tracking with me? Okay, it's a very, very interesting point right there. Saul's reign was over in God's eyes. Even though technically he was still king, in God's eyes, it was done. He was done. He was moving on. So through his disobedience, his arrogance, his rebellion, his denial, and his, repent- uh, his no repentance, and his ego, it all gave birth to this outcome of death, okay? James chapter 1 verse 14 is imperative for us to read it. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, verse number 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's where we are in this lesson with King Saul right here. Saul, through your self-inflicted wounds, you have killed and destroyed your own self for no reason at all. Here's the thing. Any kind of seed that you plant, it will give birth, okay? Sin, when you plant it, and it grows up, it will produce something, okay? So it's like being pregnant, ladies, okay? Like, you know, you're, you're going to give birth. Come on, somebody. It's like eventually that baby's going to come out. Yeah. Three people saying, well, I don't know if it will or not. It will. You can't hide it. The baby's coming, all right? I remember, you know, you've heard mine and Amanda's story. Um, when we, she was 19 years old when, um, when she got pregnant with Robin. And listen, we weren't even trying to hide the baby. Listen to me. We weren't married at the time. Y'all have heard my story. But, um, and here's the thing. We, when we knew it was like happening, we went and told our parents immediately. We went and told the pastor, the youth pastor, because there wasn't no hiding it. Just go face the music right now. It is what it is. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? All right? Okay? So that baby will be birthed. The same is true in a spiritual sense. Listen, if you deposit faith seeds, uh uh-huh, then you're going to produce faith in your life. Are you tracking with me? If you deposit negative things in your life, sin seed, then that's what you're going to produce in your life. Okay? What What things have you planted? Seeds of harvest? Have you planted the word of God in your life? Have you planted prayer? Have you planted worship in your life and honor? Or seeds of destruction in your life? You see, abortion 
As the praise team makes your way up, I'm, I'm, I am almost done. Abortion is used today to destroy a baby's life before the baby is conceived. So before the baby is ever born and can, and can become what it's supposed to become, abortion comes in and robs it of its life. Sin, listen to me now, sin aborts the plan of God in the same way. Originally, God was going to give the kingdom to Saul and to his lineage. But because of sin, it aborted the plan of God. Are you tracking with what I'm saying right there? God's word will abort. But but on the flip side, the devil has some things for you too. But God's word will abort the plan of the enemy in your life. So did you hear what I just said? So if you put sin in it, it's going to abort God's plan. But if you put God in it, God will abort the devil's plan. And that's good news right there. 1 Samuel 16 verse number 1 shows it to us right here. So here it is. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to sit here and mourn and cry for Saul? Seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn up with some oil. I'm sending you over to Jesse the, uh, in Bethlehem. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. In other words, God does not live in yesterday. Ooh, praise the Lord for that. He doesn't live in past regrets. He doesn't live in past mistakes, friend. You're over there crying about something you did 20 years ago. Well, praise the Lord that you don't have anything new to cry about. At least it was 20 years ago. Come on, smile. <laughs> All right. So anyways, God doesn't live back there. God says, I am moving forward. I've already found another man who's after my own heart. David was a mess. Yes, he was. Yet God says to this adulterer, this murderer, this David, that David is better than Saul. Why? Because while man looks on the outside, uh, God looks at the heart. Saul... Maybe he didn't have a filthy, uh, filthy life, but Saul had a filthy spirit about him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And God knows the difference. You and I might look at somebody and say, well, maybe they're not that bad or maybe they're bad. No, sir. No, you can't judge nobody because we would have gotten that judgment wrong. We still would have went with Saul because he did things. He looked right, but his heart was not right. His heart was rotten. David would mess up along the way a little bit, and we would have rejected him and said there's no way he could be the king. But his heart was right, and he would repent. My God. When our plans fail, God has another plan. Oh, when one life falls off for poor choices, God has another plan. It's called a new creation in Jesus. You could blow it, friend. You could blow it 100%. And But yet, come to an altar. Get under some grace and some mercy. Get up a brand new person and everything would be made new in your life. I'm talking about who God is. When one job fails, God has another one. When one dream fails, God's got another one. When one leader falls... God's got another one. Hey, when one pastor falls, guess what? God has another one. When sin is birthed into death, grace is birthed into forgiveness. The Lord said, Samuel, be on your way. Stop dwelling in the past. Stop dwelling in the past where it hurts, where it stings. 
Stop living in that area that breaks you down every time you think about it. I am done with it. I am moving on. I believe that God is wanting to birth a fresh new wave of his spirit in this place and in your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Fresh breath does not happen unless we call out to him and get out of the past and understand that God is doing a new thing. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at RevivalCenterAG.com.